Then, with a roar that shook all Narnia from the western lamppost to the shores of the eastern sea, the great beast flung himself upon the white witch. Lucy saw her face lifted toward him for one second with an expression of terror and amazement. Then lion and witch had rolled over together, but with the witch underneath. And at the same moment, all warlike creatures whom Aslan had led from the witch's house rushed madly on the enemy lines. Dwarfs with their battle axes, dogs with teeth, the giant with his club, and his feet also crushed dozens of the foe. Unicorns with their horns, centaurs with swords and hooves, and Peter's tired army cheered. And the newcomers roared, and the enemy squealed and gibbered till the wood re-echoed with the din of that onset. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe today, but general spoiler warning for the Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we talk about other stories we enjoy and go on tangents and all sorts of other stuff. So we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything crazy like that. But today we are discussing the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chapter 16, What Happened About the Statues. What happened about the statues, Chase? Let me tell you exactly what happened about the statues. So Aslan and the girls are in the witch's courtyard, and Lucy exclaims how it's like a museum with so many lifelike statues. Aslan bounds up to the stone line. Remember, you know, the one that Edmund was scared of, the one he drew a face on? That one. And he breathed on him. He then did the same thing to the stone dwarf, and then a dryad, and a rabbit, and all the rest throughout the courtyard. And the girls then saw the streak of color had begun to form on the lion statue and spread like a flame through a paper as the lion turned from stone to life. It stretches and then joyfully went up to be with Aslan. Everywhere the statues were coming to life and the place no longer looked like a museum, but a zoo. Creatures were running after Aslan and dancing and the courtyard was now full of colors and songs and laughter and we have time for this. And Aslan even brought a giant back to life that was confused that the witch he was fighting was gone. The crowd explains to him what happened. He looks happy about it. And C.S. Lewis lets us know in an aside that there are giants in England, but they're rare and they're not as good tempered as this one. So probably just best to avoid them if you see one. Anyways, Aslan moves his mission inside the house and goes through thoroughly, making sure that no prisoner is left unfreed. And that includes Mr. Tumnus. Him and Lucy dance together joyfully as if he hadn't once kidnapped her. How sweet. At last. The ransacking of the witch's house has ended and the castle stands empty and Aslan has the giant break open the gates and Lucy lent the giant her handkerchief, a sweet and thoughtful gesture, even if it wasn't very helpful and the giant is really nice about it. Aslan then says that if the witch is to be defeated before bedtime, they need to get their battle ASAP. Now it's time to hurry. They all get ready with slower creatures on the backs of the faster ones. And they went off as fast as they could towards the battle. It was a narrow valley, and Peter and Edmund and the rest of Aslan's army stood against the crowd of horrible creatures that had killed Aslan the night before. The fight was in progress, with statues dotted everywhere, and Peter fighting the witch sword against stone knife. Aslan lets out a roar that shakes all of Narnia, and then leaps upon the witch who was shocked. Aslan's new army charged, and and that's it. That's all the that's the whole chapter. You you don't get to see the battle. Nope, not important. 
We only talk about important things here, Cal, like our theme this week, which is renewal. Um, yeah, well, renewal or disappointment. Uh, take your pick. Whichever, what, whatever you were expecting. Yeah. Whichever the, one makes sense for you. And do you uh, know what makes sense to me? When I look at a crowd of statues of people who've been petrified and creatures who have been forcefully turned to stone against their will, I go, wow, this is like a museum chase. And like, like, like a night in the museum, these statues come to life. Like when Lucy says this, it's like kind of morbid. It's like, Lucy, you realize these are like, like semi-dead creatures. It's, it's a weird throwaway line in the beginning of the chapter. But the reason it's here is solely so that C.S. Lewis can make a zoo joke later where it's no longer like a museum. Now it's like a zoo. And the but zoo have joke. To say it's a museum first so that the you have zoo that joke. in your head. Given you know the the themes of semi racism that have come up through this book, like you're calling a bunch of sentient creatures, like you're like, oh, it's like a zoo. This feels kind of kind of racist to me. Yeah, which like they are technically animals. Some of them. So it's but like giant weird. centaurs. I've read enough Harry Potter to know that you don't dare call centaurs creatures of near human intelligence. That's true. It's I don't not know. Lie. It just feels uh, feels like a little like dehumanizing. Granted, none of them are humans, but it's kind of kind of condescending a little bit to me. But yeah, it's it's weird. It, I mean, again, one of those things that throughout the series you notice where it's like, man, it would have been really helpful to have an editor on this book. Maybe if, uh, someone Maybe. else could have given it a once over. Maybe said, hey. Maybe this uh, this joke doesn't land, or this makes it flow really weird. Yeah. Maybe we don't need to spend this much time walking. Maybe. But it is really funny reading this book in 2021, given the context that we are in, because uh, Aslan then pulls a full anti-masker and Rudy Gobert here and begins to breathe on all of the statues uh, to bring them back to life. Wake me up inside. Uh, and He's had some sick vape tricks, Cal. He had maybe, to This is not COVID-friendly, whatever it is. Definitely uh, not. But he breathes on the lion, and he breathes on the dwarf, dwarf and he breathes on everything wait, else in the Wait, courtyard. Cal, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Oh, oh, yes. You remember? As you remember, it's the lion. <laughs> the dwarf is near the lion. Remember? Remember? You know yes. what? What if we didn't remember, Clive? What then? What then, Clive? What if yeah. that wasn't an important part of that chapter either? Maybe. It could It could not have been. But as he is breathing upon all of these creatures, Susan and Lucy begin to look around and they look back at the line that you remember and we remember. And uh, it, T.S. Lewis brings this description. It's He expects us to remember. He sees, he, I expect you've seen someone put a, a lit match uh, up to a bit of newspaper, which propped up against a grate in a fireplace of an unlit fire. And then for a second, nothing seems to happen. But then the little tiny streak of flame starts crawling above the newspaper and makes its way across until it's a glorious flame. And that's how we are to understand that these uh, creatures are coming back to life. It's like a little flame that starts somewhere and begins to spread through their body. Yeah, which it is a cool image. Yeah, I like it. I, I have lit paper on fire this week, 
And sometimes it dies out like an inch into burning. Yeah. <laughs> because paper is definitely flammable, but isn't like guaranteed to like dissolve into fire. Right. And also like, what if your paper just doesn't catch the wood on fire? Like if you're using a, like a single piece of paper to, you know, light a log. Yeah. It's not the best kindling. You kind of, well, you need it to burns do, you need fast. put the paper on the bottom and build a little teepee of sticks around it and hope that those sticks catch. And then you use those sticks to catch the larger. And, and it's kind of like a pyramid scheme, but with fire. But in a good way. Yeah. But in a good way, the payoff yeah. is real. Uh, Trust me. I was not a boy scout, but I know <laughs> how to make a fire. Uh, I was a Boy Scout, but I did not learn how to build a fire until after. Seems like the Boy Scouts really did their job, Chase. Boy Scouts was not a good time. It was not a good season of my life. I tried to block out middle school and uh, early high school, but, you know, it worked out. It's fine. Hey, we, it. we, we, all, we all get to where we need to in the end, uh, which... Uh, you know, coincidentally, so does this lion because he's brought back to life. And I gotta say, like, this lion gets like really obsessed with it. I'm, I'm for it. Like, oh my god, he's like I'm obsessed so... with me. Did you hear he's him? Like, he said us lions, and I'm like dude, the only lion here. Like he crazy. straight, he straight geeks out about us, <laughs> and like, which is fair. Like I would too. But so it's like I, I honestly, I'm for it because this is how I am with things that I get excited about. He's like. He's he sees Azza and he's like bounding around him. He's like you know uh, jumping around and yipping in delight and like licking his face. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is my big brother. He's so cool. Like, and like later on, he's gonna you know like yeah. that Azza's gonna give some girls. commands. He's gonna give some commands, being like, hey, and like follow us lions. And he's like, us lions. Mm-hmm. That's us. Did me and him. Did you hear him? Him and me. He said us lions. It's me. Yeah. I'm for it, dude. I love it. I think it's it, really fun. It is really funny. And I mean, in general, like I love the uh I love just the transition here because and I mean, like you said, with the the breathing may not be COVID friendly, but like it is biblical. Oh yeah. <laughs> to keep going put- back to that, like the like I think of like in Ezekiel, there's a story of the valley of dry bones. Uh if that's too niche Bible for, for you listener, Genesis two, God breathes on the clay to make the humans into living creatures. But it really is this cool transition. Like basically the courtyard goes from black and white into vivid color. It's, it's like wizard of Oz or from silence to sound or from, from fear to joy. Like the symbolism is communicated through all the senses and it's really cool one of the times when C.S. Lewis's lack of subtlety actually works in his favor. We we get the full scene of how like fun and loud and full of life, like the the transition is like notable as, as he breathes on all these statues. Yeah. I think it's just in one of those statues that he's breathing on chase just so happens to be a giant, a huge giant. And I like this little like like interaction uh, because they're they're freaking out because they're like, oh shoot, this is a giant. And Susan goes, I wonder, is it is it safe? And I just picture Mr. Beaver somewhere going, no, but he's good. Uh, and he, then he is. He comes from a good family. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that. But he goes. She goes. Is it safe? And Azan goes, no, it's all right. Once his feet are good, it's going to spread to the rest of his body. And Susan's <laughs> like, that's not what I meant. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, which I just that think is giant staff that he was holding. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's just a really funny little interaction because Susan's like again. I think Susan and Edmund are like the people that the reader should like feel like yeah. at least I guess especially if you're a like a grown leader a reader they're rational people. Yeah, they're the ones asking the question like, uh, "Are you sure you, you you sure you should wake up the giant?" That seems sketch. And Aslan's like, no, 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 no. He's fine. Because once I start here, the rest of him will wake up. It's like, that's... <laughs> not, not the part. Not, not what I was pointing out about. Uh, but, so the, 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 the giant, who is at this point unnamed, and we will get to his name in a little bit, because we need to. Uh, but he begins waking up and... He thinks he's still battling the witch and he's looking around for her and doesn't see her. And they have to explain that the, you know, the witch is gone. Why does he remember fighting the witch and no one else seems to? Like, why is, why is his waking up experience different than the, like, joyful bounding of the lion? I, it, uh, why, why does anyone do anything or ha- anything happen? You, it's hard why? to say. <laughs> but then C.S. Lewis gives this aside where he goes, giants of any sort are so rare now in England and so few giants are good-tempered that 10 to 1, you've never seen a giant and when his face is beaming, it's a sight to look at. Why? Is this necessary? Why do like, we need to know this? Like, this creates this creates actual problems for the story. Yeah, because we've established that Narnia is the place where magic happens. That's yeah. the place of magic. Yeah, the reason we giants, can leave... This in Narnia is because we're in another universe, another world. Right. You're by by interjecting here, you are like interrupting the suspension of disbelief. Like you are you're going, oh man, like this is this fantastical story. Oh wait, this is the real world? There are no giants in the real world. This is a fake story. Hey, like maybe the giants lived in Atlantis and they went down with everything else. If you are hearing that reference from Chase and you have not watched our Magician's Nephew podcast, you should go do that because there's a whole that. thing about Atlantis and mer people and uh, and all of that good stuff. Yeah, uh, which I mean, we haven't gotten to talk about the multiverse in in quite some time. It's, it's, it's been a long time. Yeah, I miss the multiverse. The multiverse was better than walking. You know who I don't miss, Chase, Mister Tumnus. But here he is. He's here anyway, uh, because you know Lucy, for whatever reason, is so drawn to this stupid little fawn. She's uh, so into him, and it's so. It, and they they dance and hold hands, and uh, and like she's it's it's like Aslan and everyone else is just ignoring the fact that he kidnapped her and no. drugged her. Kel, that's not important. There are no, <laughs> there are no laws against kidnapping in Narnia. As we as see. long as you, you know, don't go all the way through with it. Like, Look, as long know, as kid- you're sorry, it's fine. You know, but like, God forbid, if you try to get some Turkish delight, like uh, this, this is the story that started the Lucy Alert system in Narnia. So. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's kind of a necessary thing, but. So they jump around and they have a great time. And, uh, you know, Tumnus asks, you know, how are we actually going to get out of here? Because Aslan flew into the courtyard and they're locked in. Uh, You know, the gates are closed, which they weren't for Edmund. 
but I'm glad that the witch, I guess, remembered to lock her gate on her way to war. Yeah, well, you know, the beavers had to lock their house up to slow everyone down, and <laughs> slows everyone had to lock down. Her house up to slow it, everyone down. Hey, you know what? More more followers of Aslan are still dying because of this one choice. So I guess good on you, witch. She got but, what she was looking for. Like Aslan then asks, he he. There's so it says, uh, Aslan got on his hind legs and he yells to the giant, "Hey, you up there? What's your name?" And he says, Giant Rumblebuffin, if it pleases your honor. I have several things that I want to point out here. One, I hate two-legged Aslan. It weirds me out. I do not like it. It's, it's, it's unnatural and creepy, and I don't like it. Be a lion. Yeah. Like, and that's it. Two, it also makes it way weirder when you think about the girls riding on his back. Yeah, which I assume that that's when he's back on, like, lion pose. I hope. We hope, but otherwise it's just a, a crazy piggyback ride. But, uh, so one, I hate two-legged Aslan. Two, this has got some real how's the weather up there vibes. He's like, hey, you up there. Like, so it's just like, it is what it is. And then three, Rumble Buffin? Rumble, Rumble Buffin? It does Which, not please my honor. It, Thank you his, very much. His family name, as we learn later, is Buffin. So Rumble So why Buffin. is his name... Is his or name Rumble Rumble Buffin, Buffin? Buffin? Or is it do giants merge their names into one word so it is Rumble Buffin? The like, it's it's a weird name and like I I don't understand. Like this is a stupid name. Like we we hated on Fledge, the uh, the flying horse. Which Fledge, I'm sorry for hating on your name because you no longer have the worst name in Narnia. Oh no, I, I will Rumble still Buffin. take I will still take Rumble Buffin over Fledge any day. Strawberry Rumble, was such a good name. Yeah, Strawberry was a great name, but Giant like Rumble Buffin seems like the name that you should give to like a more whimsical, like small creature. Rumble Buffin, like is like God bless you, Kazoon type. Uh, Cal, next next book, the podcast, three podcasts from now, we're gonna start talking about Shasta. So it's a Yeah. You're I, you're not we, wrong. You gotta get past the the name. I, I'm I'm pro Rumble Buffin. I'm just confused by the <laughs> first name, last name deal. Chase is is the guy going, the Buffins are a proud family. <laughs> they we are, are one of the oldest families in Narnia, Cal. The most respected of the giant families. Not very clever, perhaps. I never knew a giant who was. I do. An old I family with traditions. I don't like the big people being depicted as like oaths. stupid. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. Yeah. Apparently, this is Tumnus who's spouting this stuff, and apparently, Tumnus has spent too much time with the beavers. With this, uh, he's spewing some more uh, like bigotry against giants. Uh, the giant hate needs to stop. Oh, I know a good fan. Like the, the Buffins are good giants. But if the ret, like if he was like the other sort of giants, he never would have been turned to stone. They they all learned that at their witch meeting. <laughs> That's the, the the turncoats all know how to spot good dwarfs or bad dwarfs and you know the right kind of giant. Uh, so that is it is what it is. But in the midst of this, giant rumble buffin, uh tight. Uh, he strides over to the gate and he crashes it down with his club and then he goes blowed if I ain't all in a muck sweat 
what did you just say? <laughs> was that you, Hagrid? Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what does this mean? And then he, so he's, I guess, winded and gross. And he goes, does anyone have a handkerchief about you? And Lucy, sweet, sweet Lucy, so well-intentioned, is like, I have a handkerchief. And then giant Grubble Buffin, uh, Grubble Buffin, sorry, uh, says, oh, thank you. And he grabs Lucy. And he's like, oh, my bad. I thought you were the handkerchief. And Lucy's like, no, it's this tiny little square, which is, it's a ridiculous thing. It's oh, like, gosh. and Lucy's like, sorry, that's probably not much help. And he goes, nope, but that's okay. <laughs> he tried really hard to use it anyways. It's uh, it's like one of those little, uh, like, you know, when you get the gum packets that are in the plastic, so it's like the little tabs. Yeah, uh, and he's like, well, I'm out of napkins, but I do have this gum wrapper. That could help. Uh, but yeah, Grumble Muffin is, uh, he's, he's, real, he's real thoughtful and real kind. And, you know, as Tumnus is going on about which kind of giants are the right kind of giants, as in, like, our work isn't done yet. There's more that we need to do if we're going to win this battle before bedtime before bedtime what <laughs> are you saying we were on a schedule this whole time <laughs> what a weird choice of phrase battles don't end cuz people are sleepy like that like not like the two sides of a battle are going hey it's 8 p.m. this is i got to go into my pre bedtime routine i got to make sure i wash my face Brush my teeth. The witch gets grumpy if she's not been fighting before bedtime. <laughs> she is an early bird, if anything, um, except when she parties hard at the stone table. It's, it's just—it's a weird—it's a weird phrase. Like I get that this is a kid's story that's probably being told to a lot of kids before bedtime. I get that, but this is not a phrase that would be uttered in battle. Like, yeah. No one's like, "Hey, it's bedtime." Bring this back up at six. Also, Aslan, my guy, you've been wasting so much time playing. You're the guy that was romping around. You've been partying with your friends. Again, if we were on a time crunch, why didn't we go to the battle first? You could have handled it. Aslan's literally the only one who actually makes a difference in the battle. Why did we need to get the rest of the army when he's going to have to wake people up from stone later again anyways? Yeah, it's it's dumb. It's whatever. So they after they've freed everyone, everyone's, you know, back into human or creature form. They're all alive. They're no longer stone. Aslan's like, all right, slow creatures ride on the fast. That's wisdom. And he says, good trackers, people with with good noses, like dogs and us lions. Y'all are in the front. Doesn't Aslan know where the battle is? He was preparing Peter. He's like, this is where they're going to be. And obviously they're there because the battle has started. Yeah, they look, they've got to run all the way back across Narnia because Peter and his crew were at the river like a mile away. And they ran oh, were they? the other side of the country. Are, are you sure? They took I don't right know on. where anyone I don't know where anyone is because they don't say where anything is. They just go, We're across Narnia. We should make it there before bedtime. Don't worry about it. We'll be there by bedtime. 
Who's uh, bedtime? Look. Are there are no nocturnal creatures on, in Aslan's army. This is some real deism here as opposed to nightist. But, you know, whatever. Doesn't uh, matter. We just got to do teamwork. Be a team. Be a team. And so, you know, the Wait. dogs and us lions are, you know, headed. Uh, they're leading the way and they pick up the scent and they make their way to the battle and chase. We have prepared all book for this epic battle. The whole pit, the whole book has been building up to it. I bet this battle is going to be awesome. Yeah, I bet we're going to see like the witch riding on a chariot. It's going to be dope. Polar bears. It's going to be yes. crazy. It's going to be crazy. Oh, oh, nope. The battle's battle's done. Oh, cool. It's been two pages. And that's it. I guess that's all we're going to see in the battle. Really fast at his sword work. But uh, man, yeah, okay. So we run up on the battle, and it's Peter and Edmund and all the rest of Aslan's like army fighting against all of the horrible creatures. And uh, most of them, most of Aslan's army is either dead or turned to stone by this point. Thanks a lot, Aslan, for you know wasting everyone's time or whatever. Uh, but Peter is in a one-on-one duel with the White Witch, who, in canon is known to be incredibly strong, broke a steel pipe off of a lamppost, yep. chucks it across these, breaks open doors with her bare arms, which they are bare. Yeah, She has magic. She is seven feet tall. And she just killed Aslan. Yeah. Kind of. And it, she is one-on-one dueling a... 13-year-old boy who just learned how to sword fight yesterday. Yeah, which, who knows what happened to her wand. Not well, mentioned. It's mentioned in the next chapter, which, the, the next chapter, it is. Uh, in the next chapter, I'm going to give a lot of props to Edmund, which I didn't think that I was going to give. But Edmund, he's uh, he's worked his way up in my book. Didn't expect this to be a, uh, uh, a pro-Edmund take at the end of this book, but I'm pretty pro-Edmund at the end of this book. I mean, with the exception of a few moments, I've been pretty pro Edmund throughout the podcast. Yeah, I'm surprised how much I've like found myself actually, you know, sympathizing with Edmund here. Uh, but this won't make sense in the context of this book. But Edmund is Peter. Yeah, yeah, he he is he is the disciple Peter. Yeah, not not, not his not brother Peter. Peter, but like the Bible Peter. Correct. Uh, but it's a pretty uneven battle. But somehow Peter is like handling himself against the witch and his there, you know, his sword and her stone knife, which like she doesn't have like her spear or something, you know, whatever. But like they're moving so quickly that it looks like they have three, like three knives and three swords and it's a blur. And then, oh, man, Chase, all book. We've been building up to this epic showdown between Aslan and the witch. Get it's off been my building. Back. It's been building. Get off my back, Jordan. It's time for me to enter the battle. He roars triumphantly. Oh, Chase, I bet this is going to be epic. I bet we're going to see just some really cool action scenes where, like, they're swiping at each other and stabbing, and it's really oh, – oh, no, it's already done. It, la- it was only two lines. So he runs – he roars, and then he runs and jumps on her, yeah. and that's it. He that's all down. we see. Newcomers charge, everyone cheers, chapter's over. Bye. 
and I'm going to go ahead and spoil this if you haven't read chapter 17, the final chapter. The chapter basically opens with saying the witch is dead. I guess this killed the witch. Like, she's presumed dead. Like, we don't see her die. But she, I guess this pounce killed her. Why, why would you want and to And the battle's that? over? Why would you care about that part? That's not important. The, the whole book has been talking about this, like, struggle between the witch and her forces. And what? you've been anticipating this battle for several chapters now. Wait, Kel, I thought you came here for the Birdwatcher's Guide to Narnia. <laughs> Don't forget the thrushes and the blue ball, bluebells. Uh, and we, uh, you know, God forbid we forget about those. Because those are way more important, and let's spend much more time on those, than the climactic battle between the forces of the witch and the forces of Aslan, and the one-on-one between Aslan and the witch. Look, nobody came here for a fight. I came here for a fight. This is so lame. (laughs) The chapter just ends. Yep. And then the next chapter goes, well, they won, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of the worst. (laughs) Like. It is what it is. Did we need four chapters of the like the walking to and from the witch's house and walking uh, to and from the beaver's house? But Kel, if we hadn't seen that, and how would we know pages, how they got there? Two pages of a battle. Two chase. Two. Two too many, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> like. I'm going to give, like, I usually don't say this being a book snob, but I think the I think the book is not as good as the movie. I think the Lie the Witch of the Wardrobe movie is significantly better I than think this book. you're entirely correct. They solve all the pacing issues in the movie because they know that if people get bored, they'll stop watching. It, yeah. And it's crazy to say that knowing how bad the Prince Caspian movie is. Oh, yeah. I, this only applies to The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. None of the other two movies that were made in the 2000s. Yeah. Just Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, which is a masterpiece. Yeah. It, it this book, actually is a really, really solid movie. Yeah. This book just yada yadas so hard over all of the important things. It, it honestly makes me start to wonder why people love these books so much. I hate to say that. I should edit that out. But uh, <laughs> We are doing a podcast on these books, Chase. I don't know if you're aware of that. And I do. I love C.S. Lewis's writing. I like the story as a whole. I really like the books that we're about to get into. Like I think the entire series is so interesting. It is shocking that this is the way that this is handled in this book. Like, yeah. It's so surprising. I don't know that I've ever noticed it before because I've never read this book this slowly. And this critically. Yeah. I've never paid Man, attention. The pacing is, it's rough. Uh, and I, you know, granted, like I'm pretty sure he gets way better as like, you know, time goes on um, about pacing. You know, he doesn't lose all of his problematic, you know, uh, ideology. But at least, like, his pacing gets better from what I'm aware of. So the important stuff gets handled. I, but, like, man, this is this is his book. You know, this is the 
the thing. This is the one that if you've read any book in the series, it's the only one you've read in this series. Yeah. Like if anything was required reading at any point in your life, it was Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. It wasn't, you know, the silver chair, which might be the best one. It's definitely the darkest one. It's I love not... the silver chair. I love the horse in his boy. I'm really excited yeah. for next book. Yeah. The next few are all exciting and they're interesting. Granted, we're going to have nits to pick because there's some crazy ideologies that they sure. will come up. Next book also is one of the more racist ones. This one, but, the next one and the last one get some real issues in there. Yeah. But we'll get to that. But yeah, this is the book, Chase. This is this chapter is the second to last chapter. The last chapter was the resurrection of Aslan. This chapter is him like redeeming all of the statues and bringing them back to life and the battle and the killing of the white witch all in one chapter. And do you know where most of that time is spent? It's not the battle. It's not the killing of the white witch. It's breathing on statues, which you could accomplish the breathing of the statues, even though I disagree timing wise, I think you should have gone straight. I think Aslan and the girl should have gone straight to the battle and then, you know, healed all the statues after because Aslan is clearly OP. But like, Regardless of that, if you're going to heal the statues, you could accomplish that in a page saying Aslan started with the lion that was frozen and began breathing on him and the other creatures until they all started magically coming to life. And you could describe the process with the flame you know, imagery if you wanted and be like, and everyone was reunited. And then Aslan said, follow me. And they ran through the gates and made their way to the battle that was not six hours away. Yeah. Oh, well. But, that's, but here we are, Chase. Uh, Chase, would you like to uh, dive further up and further in for us? Would love to. Um, so my further up and further in is just about all the biblical allusions. Biblical allusions galore. Like, this chapter is an amalgamation of a bunch of biblical imagery having to do with Jesus's victory and redemptive work. Uh, Jesus raiding the strong man's house, setting captives free, returning with captives, breathing life into death, the joyful celebration of restored life, the party at the return of the lost son. Like it goes on and on. The big idea being communicated through all the biblical pictures being referenced here is that these are the things that happen as the ramifications of Jesus' resurrection. This is what Jesus won when he defeated death. Not just new life for himself, but new life for everyone. And that same idea is what Aslan is playing out here. This is what he means when he says that sacrificing himself makes death work backwards. That doesn't just apply to him. That counts for everyone on the side of life and on the side of Aslan. Another biblical point worth noting here is that the great battle in this chapter is not against the witch, as we've complained at length. Uh, It is against death itself. Like we said, spoiler alert, the witch dies off screen. We start next chapter learning that she was finished off quickly. And honestly, I'll take back some of my comments about dualism from a couple chapters ago. This was more biblical than I thought, although there's still definitely some dualism in the story, as well as a lot of ridiculous plot holes. 
the fact that Lewis keeps death as the final enemy and battle, but the witch is just kind of a side thought. Actually, much more biblically sound if she's the allegory for the devil here, uh, even though it is less cinematic than the movie drama of her polar bear chariot. Basically, the big point here is that Aslan defeated death. And so what does that mean for everyone else? What are the aftershocks of the splitting of the stone table? It's cool stuff. Right on. I'm going to continue this theme of biblical illusions galore with one particular one. And, you know, pull out your your Hebrew and Greek textbooks, everyone, because we're about to do a language dive from a language nerd like myself. Uh, And mine, what I want to talk about is Jesus breathing the spirit onto his disciples and uh, particularly as it relates to this book, Aslan breathing life into the statues. It could be a cool way to just resurrect the statues, but obviously this is another way of C.S. Lewis to make allegory and reference to uh, Christ, to Jesus. Because before Jesus ascends, he gathers his disciples and he, he, he breathes on them, which seems weird, seems out of place, but this is the transferring of the spirit. Uh, to the disciples, as I mentioned uh, in the further up and further in of the last podcast, when the veil was torn, the presence of God was now available and the presence of God is available through the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the Godhead. Uh, And what happens is the spirit now becomes available to uh, those who accept Christ into their hearts with salvation. Uh, When Jesus is breathing the spirit into people, it's really interesting because if you you know, take the Greek and Hebrew words, Greek word for breath or spirit or soul or wind. It's all the same. It's pneuma. And then the Greek, the Hebrew word is ruach, where, uh, which granted, you don't need to remember any of those. But if you do, rach, uh, it's kind of like a roar. Uh, but the words for spirit, breath, soul, wind are all the same. And in essence, they really point towards this idea of the spirit being life, the Holy Spirit being life. And so when Jesus breathes the spirit, it's almost like he is uh, spiriting the spirits. That's the the, the, the word play that's being used here. Um, when God speaks the word into existence, uh, when he is breathing life into, uh, into humanity, uh, into, you know, when he is creating Adam, it's this idea of he is spiriting. Like that's why humanity is different from other creatures that we have the, uh, we have spirits, souls, we have this uh, image of God inside of us. Right. And so it's this concept of when Aslan is breathing life into all of these creatures that were turned to stone, it's an intentional thing that he is breathing spirit back into them. He is breathing life back into them is that is what we get whenever we receive the Holy spirit, we receive life and we are given this breath of the spirit. So I just think it's a really cool imagery. Uh, you can do a little Greek and Hebrew dive there, which is neat. Um, but Chase, we have been building up to the end of this chapter, the end of this book for so long. It's, I, I you know, get off my back podcast because we're about to do something crazy. But before I do that, and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll deal with the end of this podcast off screen. So that you don't have to worry about seeing any carnage or, you know, have to worry about editing this. But as I deal with this off screen, Chase, can you tell our listeners where they can, uh, you know, help rate and review us? 
Yeah, if you want to finish this podcast before bedtime, you can go ahead and go to Apple or Spotify or Amazon or Audible or any of the places where you like to get your podcasts. And we would love if while you were there, you left us a rating and a review. Five stars, please, 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 please. Uh, We love that because that helps other people find our podcast. And uh, yeah, you can also follow us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where we post uh, images to let you know that the podcast is coming out and kind of keep up with you throughout the week with various things that we talk about. Um, With all that, we, uh, yeah, next chapter, we'll be finishing out Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Crazy. Did you hear that? We will. Us podcasters. Him and me. That's what I like about Chase. It's not standoffish. Me and him, us podcasters, we. Did, did you hear us? He 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 talked about he talked about me too. Oh, sorry, it's bedtime. Oh, sorry, it's gotta go. Oh, crap. <laughs>